Today, we're going to be looking at the fact that God forgives me. If there's one thing that kids know how to handle, it's forgiveness, isn't it? I mean, you can come in the room and two of them will be at it, tooth and toenail, just really into it. And you make them stop and uh, you ask them what's going on. Then you make them uh, apologize to each other and then shake hands or hug, which they'll do grudgingly. And then two minutes later, they're back playing like nothing ever happened. You tell them, you make them forgive each other and they do it. And they understand what forgiveness is. And they, uh, they don't do like us grownups do. Uh, whenever it comes to us and God, we think that somehow we have to do penance, that uh, we have to somehow uh, be in some sort of a probationary period after we've asked him to forgive us just to prove that we really meant it. And grownups just have a hard time just receiving God's forgiveness. And yet it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. First thing I want to look at is how does God forgive? And the thing is, when he forgives, he forgives completely. He doesn't forgive provisionally. He doesn't forgive partially. He forgives our sin completely. It says in uh, Psalm 103, verse 12, He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. This is so important, people. It's been 40 years ago that I discovered that the mental hospitals then could have been cleared of 80% of their clients and their patients if those people could be freed from guilt and shame. That unconfessed and unresolved guilt is one of the biggest causes of mental illness than anything else. Um, not to uh, disparage or put anything on uh, people like that. But what I'm saying is that they're going through tough times. But so many times it's because there's something that they're trying to cope with that they just can't receive freedom from their guilt for unresolved guilt. And I have seen this happen again and again uh, in my times of counseling. And so this is why I share this with you this morning is we need to receive the fact that when God forgives us, he has forgiven us and he has cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. The story of the prodigal son just really illustrates that well. The prodigal son went back thinking he was not worthy of forgiveness 
he went back thinking he was going to have to at least be on some probationary period or prove himself in some way. And yet his father runs out, hugs him, has a robe put on him, a ring put on his finger, and totally reinstates him as a part of the family with no prerequisites other than he has come home. His son, who was dead, was alive again. He removes our sin completely. Not only that, he forgets our sin immediately. In Isaiah 43, 25, he says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. And listen, it says, for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Yeah, start thinking about that. Why? You know, here God is so big. He's so, I mean, he could remember things eternally, you know, and yet he chooses and he can, you talk about selective memory. He can choose to remember our sin no more. He can choose to forget. Wouldn't it be nice if we could do that? So many things, if we could just choose to forget them, it'd be so much better, would it? He can do that. He can choose to forget. And then it dawned on me, why would he do that? And you know why? Because he is holy. He is holy. And sin, sin is an offense to him. Sin is something that he cannot abide so why would he want to dwell on our sinful acts after he had forgiven them? Why would he want to continue to mull over things that he was uh, not even wanting to be present in the world to begin with? It's because of his holiness. He doesn't want to remember. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be those who don't continue in sin because every time we sin, we're putting a barrier between us and him. And we have to ask forgiveness, confess it and get that barrier cleared up again. Why would he want to clutter his holy mind with unholy memories that have been utterly removed from the docket? I'd never thought about that before this week. It's just something brand new. I never caught that. Well, he removes our sins completely. He forgets our sins immediately. And if we come back to him and say, Lord, you know, when I did so and so, he'll say, no, I forgot that. It's behind. So we need to be living like that's the case. Little kids can do that. We need to be able to do it to do too. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, means he's fair, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Ah, we're supposed to be living under grace, living under grace. You know, you, there's an acronym there, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is whenever you get what you don't deserve. And this is something uh, uh, I ran across this past week. People are always 
complain and saying it's not fair that God uh, doesn't send everyone to heaven. God just can't be like that. God couldn't send anyone to hell. Well, you know, the thing is, if God were fair in that sense, everyone would go to hell because he is holy. We cannot uh, stand before a holy and righteous God in our sin. And so there was a dilemma that he had because we were all in fairness going to hell. And yet in his goodness and in his love for us, he made a way. And we celebrate and remember it this morning as we gather around the Lord's table. He made a way when we could not make a way. He paid the price when we could never pay it so that his sacrifice on that cross is a full, we say in the liturgy, and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. But we have to receive it. So now then we live under grace. We are living under grace. It's a life-changing constant awareness of what I've been given in light of what I deserve. That's how we're supposed to be living. The story that uh, Joe Beth read for us this morning about uh, the woman who was uh, standing behind Jesus weeping. Uh, I learned something. I saw something this past week after looking at the Bible for 40 years. I saw a mystery. How could she be standing behind him and her tears be wetting his feet? I mean, all of a sudden it dawned on me. How's this happening? First of all, I saw that must have been a copious amount of tears. I mean, that's a lot of tears being shed. That's one thing. But then how did they get on his feet if she was behind him. And then I read there's a, there's the answer is right there. If you look at it, do you know what the answer is? He was reclining. It says it's not that he was sitting at a table. It's not that he was sitting in a chair. He was reclining. He was on his side with his feet to one side. And as she was standing behind him and notice that is the position of one who is serving. The waiters, the, the, the hostesses, the hosts, uh, uh, they stood and served while the guests reclined, except for his host. And his, his host was there reclining by him. His host just was not a good host all the way up and down, was he? But here is this woman. Everybody uh, thinks it was Mary. And it says she has lived a sinful life. And she is standing behind him there to serve him. And she's crying as she stands there. And she's crying so hard that her tears are falling like rain on his feet. And so she had to get down and wipe them with her hair. But she had come to get down and anoint his feet anyway. But the thing is, those tears that she shed. Many people will read that and they'll think, yeah, yeah, she'd been bad 
And she, those were tears of uh, repentance and remorse. And she was begging for mercy. And those were tears that are just, just because she'd been so bad and she was just hoping that, that Jesus would forgive her. But the thing is, in the story that Jesus tells, he tells about two people who have already been forgiven. And who's going to love the most? And the host had to say, the one who was forgiven the most, I guess. And he said, that's why she's doing what she's doing. You haven't offered me a thing in the way of hospitality. And yet she has wet my feet with her tears. She has dried them with her hair. So what were these tears? There are three kinds, four kinds. There's several different sources of tears whenever you really look at it. There are tears of remorse that we can shed. Tears of remorse are tears that we shed whenever you realize that you have ruined your own life and it's your fault. I have messed up. That's remorse. That is what Judas had, it said. He felt remorse. And remorse, as we see in the case of Judas, can be so hopeless. There's no hope many times in remorse because all you know is that things can never be the same again. I blew it. That's remorse. There are also tears of repentance. And the wonderful thing about tears of repentance is tears of repentance, there is hope involved in tears of repentance. There's the hope of being reconciled to God. There's the hope of the restoration of a relationship. There's the hope of being able to move on from this place where I am now to the place where God wants me to be. In repentance, in those tears of repentance, we see hope. But then there are also another kind of tear, and those are tears of rejoicing. But then I discovered, this just as I was praying about it this morning and walking around, it dawned on me there are two other kinds of tears. Tears of love and tears of gratitude. And as you look at this story, you see from what Jesus says, those are what her tears are. Tears of gratitude. Yes, she had blown it. She had ruined her life. It was never going to be the life that she wished that she could go back and live. And yes, she did repent because even though she couldn't go undo those things that she had done, maybe she could have a life from this point on. And he was offering that and he gave it. And so just out of sheer love for her master, she weeps. I've known people that have been so moved with love and with compassion that they have wept. I've known people to be so moved with joy that they weep. And those were the tears that Mary shed. More than anything else, there were tears of adoration and love and gratitude toward the one who had done something for her that nobody else ever could. And she was there in his presence. And this is the wonderful thing is that 
her tears, be they of remorse, be they of repentance, be they of love, gratitude, they were all turned into something that blessed her Lord. Some of you may be caught in the past. You may be still raking yourself over the coals and punishing yourself for something that you did a long time ago, or maybe even for something that was done to you a long time ago, and you haven't been able to get beyond it. And the Lord wants to encourage you to do like Mary did here, to let even your tears be something that blesses him. Let your tears be tears of hope. Let your tears be tears of joy that you have a life now and a life in front of you because of him. He told us when we gather at this meal to remember him. Let's remember him in love and gratitude and joy as we gather around this table. And let's go forth realizing that he has even redeemed our past so that we can move on in serving him. In Jesus' name, amen.